This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Joining me here after a well-deserved week off, Matt Myers, MLB.com National Editor. Matt, hi. Hi, Mike. How are you? How was your week off? Excellent. We were very lonely here without you. I missed the podcast. Yeah, it was actually a pretty good one. We talked to Brian Kenny, and uh, actually, on that show, we talked about uh, the the show that Brian and I were going to do at MLB Network with Jonah Carey and John Smoltz uh, calling the Giants-Pirates game, much like we do with MLB Plus. And so that was actually actually yesterday, and it was a blast. It was a fun game. Uh, We got to put some cool StackCast stuff out to the people, and uh, it got surprisingly positive feedback and I don't mean surprisingly in that I didn't expect it to be good it just like you know it's Twitter you're always going to hear people whining about something uh so I was pretty happy with that and I guess while we're on the subject of uh, tooting our own horns here if you check out this week's issue of Sports Illustrated you'll see a wide-ranging stack cast interview uh with myself and Tom Tango and Darren Willman and Greg Kane and Corey Schwartz and uh, it was actually it's pretty interesting it's a couple pages in the print version of Sports Illustrated the one with uh Michael Phelps and Kay Ledecky on the cover so I'm sure it will be a very popular uh that's right popular issue so please check that out I think Corey said it's on page 48 or somewhere along those 44 lines. 44 you want to get uh, right. exact exactly right so uh no guests this week we're gonna have Matt and I talking about a couple of things we're gonna get to uh awards in a second because it's been a really weird kind of presumptive uh, baseball award season but first I want to talk a little bit about Ryan Zimmerman who has been hurt and he's supposed to come off the disabled list today or tomorrow you're smiling because I'm saying Ryan Zimmerman's hurt <laughs> <laughs> no no it's funny because Ryan Zimmerman has sort of been your uh your uh what's the word I'm looking for he's just been sort of in your cause of like pointing out well, like well you know he really hits the ball hard okay Listen, so last year, if anybody listens to the show, I talked a whole lot about Marcelo Zuna, how Marcelo Zuna is going to have a great year, and he, and he has. And the reason I did that is because last year, I looked at the top 20 guys, the leaders in exit velocity, and I saw 19 of them had above average seasons, and Marcelo Zuna did not. And I looked at him and I said, okay, I think you know he's really hitting the ball hard. Things are going to go his way, and he's going to have a good year, and he did. And you know it kind of goes with what you would expect. It's really hard to hit the ball hard consistently and not be productive. Which brings me to Ryan Zimmerman, who has done exactly that this year. He's, and he was another guy, not to blow up your spot too much, you had on your list of potential breakout candidates. And most of your breakout candidates have done very well. So Yeah, he, I, don't, I don't remember that one. No, no I don't know. <laughs> he was on your list this year of guys who, for that same reason, who hit the ball really hard last year and had some sort of sneaky sneaky value. I should, I should at some point review my whole like winter. I think I've got like an 80% or so success rate. I'm pretty happy with that. But back to Ryan Zimmerman. We have, uh, at the moment, 186 hitters who have 200 tracked batted balls. Ryan Zimmerman has the seventh highest average exit velocity, 93.7. And the guys ahead of him are kind of the guys you'd expect. Nelly Cruz, uh, Stanton, Trumbo, Hosmer. He's tied with David Ortiz, right? Hitting the ball hard, really good thing to do. Of those 186 batters, he has the 10th worst batting average on balls in play. And that really doesn't align. And you look at the guys below him, you know, Ben Revere, doesn't really hit the ball that hard. Uh, Prince Fielder, obviously, was playing hurt. Jose Bautista is a separately interesting case because he's also on both of these lists, similar to Zimmerman. Uh, Bryce Harper, we know that his season's fallen apart. Coco Crisp has not really had a good year. The point is, it, it doesn't align that a guy hitting the ball that hard would have that much trouble turning it into success. And, you know, one reason you might think is if he's hitting nothing but ground balls, 
and he's, he's not. I mean, more than he did at his peak, for sure, but he hasn't suddenly turned into, uh, you know, a Billy Hamilton here. And for, just for the record, Zimmerman's line this year is 222, 284, right. 394. Uh, weighted runs created plus of 77. Where league average is 100. Yeah. So he is, uh, he's, he's about, uh, I don't know, half of what Sandy Leone is right now. <laughs> and that's another topic entirely. And uh, I, I don't bring this information out because I have the answer. Like, I, I, it's really confusing to me because I look at all the stuff I would normally look at. It's like, well... Is he striking out just a ton and maybe exit velocity is not a big deal? He's not. He's about a league average strikeout hitter. Is he pounding it into the ground? A little more than usual, yes, but not to the extent you'd think. Does he have the worst batting average on balls hit over 100 miles an hour? Because that was Robinson Cano's issue last year. Crushing yeah. the ball, got no luck out of it. Now it's about league average, slightly below. And so I guess the point here is sometimes uh, there's not a tidy answer. It's just it's a mystery that I, I would love to dig in further. And anybody's listening and wants to come up with an idea and tweet it at us, we will happily discuss it on next week's show. Uh, because, you know, Ryan Zimmerman is a guy we looked at last year, didn't hit well, exit velocity for the first three months, later revealed he was playing through pain, a.k.a. the Ryan Zimmerman story, took six weeks off, uh, healed his foot, which was the issue, and crushed the ball for the rest of the year. That's what kind of hope. And had the numbers to go with. And had the numbers, 10 miles an hour up in exit velocity and, and you know, the traditional productive stats. And so he's still hitting the ball hard this year. And the production hasn't followed. He's coming off the DL today or tomorrow, I think. I'd be fascinated to see what happens at the end of the season. Maybe this is the start of that rebound where he's like, I've been hitting the ball hard, here comes production. Maybe. Maybe. I don't have anything else to add to Ryan Zimmerman <laughs> except player to watch, Ryan Zimmerman. Um, and then, you know, briefly you wanted to talk about Pedro Alvarez. Similar but different. Also crushes the ball hard, but his thing is he doesn't make contact that often. Yeah, I wanted to bring it up because I couldn't believe this when I looked it up. Since the All-Star break, minimum 50 balls in play, he has by far the highest average exit velocity of anyone in baseball. 96.5 miles an hour, almost a mile per hour ahead of Miguel Cabrera. Um, and the production has matched it. He's slugging 658 since the All-Star break, nine home runs and 83 plate appearances. He had nine home runs and almost 200 plate appearances in the first half. It seems like the Buck Walter has smartly decided never to play him against lefties. Um, he has 31 plate appearances against lefties this year. You know what I just realized? What we have done entirely unintentionally, at least on my part, um, on Monday and Tuesday, our next MLB Plus games are Washington and Baltimore, where we're going to have Ryan Zimmerman and we're going to have Pedro Alvarez, and we just have suddenly given ourselves topics to talk about during both of those two games. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, <laughs> Pedro Alvarez smartly being played only against right-handed right -handed pitching is, is fit in perfectly with the, uh, the three true outcomes offense that is the Baltimore Orioles. That's exactly right. All right, well, we've promoted our own games. Make sure to watch Monday and Tuesday. I believe 7 o'clock Eastern, free on MLB TV. Myself, uh, Will Leach, and Darren Sutton yes. will be calling these games. And, and Jim Duquette in the, at the ballpark. Exactly right. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. The other thing we wanted to get to today uh, is awards. You know, the Rookie of the Year, the Cy Young, on and on. This comes up every, every August. You get into the kind of the dog days of the season, and people like to look ahead. And, you know, what stood out to me is a couple things. If you look at the four major awards, the, the two sides and the two MVPs, they're wide open, like incredibly wide open. I think the rookie of the years are, are more or less set. Corey Seager seems pretty obvious in the National League. Now, now that Story's injured, Aledmus Diaz is injured, you could argue for uh, one of my favorite pitchers, Sun Wang Oh, I'm probably not going to be, you know, Corey Seager is going to be in our MVP discussion in a second. He's the clear rookie of the year. Yeah, right? clear, no, no question. Ale Rookie was kind of a mess most of the year. Nomar Mazzara was the front runner for a while. He's fallen off. Tyler Naquin got some support. Uh, unless he explodes, I think Michael Fulmer from Detroit is probably going to be the guy, but I do have to at least make a case for Edwin Diaz of Seattle, who has come up and just been obscene. Only 34 innings, 62 strikeouts. Yeah, and the thing about Fulmer, too, is he's he's thrown 120 innings, so like his innings count is low enough that if he has two bad starts, 
where he gets rocked, you know, and his ERA shoots up a bit and Mazzara gets hot or Diaz, you know, is sort of part of this big narrative of the Mariners being the postseason. That could change, but, like, it's full to lose. Hashtag narrative. Yeah. Um, all right, let's dig into the other ones here. we got to start with the American League Cy Young, all right? And it's it's maybe the most fascinating discussion in one of these awards I can think of in a while because you have about maybe a dozen different starting pitchers who have some kind of case. This is I wrote this this morning, and this is actually true. At the moment, the American League has a different leader in each of these categories. ERA, that's Michael Fulmer. Fielding independent pitching is Corey Kluber. Innings pitched is David Price. Batting average against is Marco Estrada. Strikeout percentage is Chris Archer. Wins, which I know wins, but at least it's a category people look at, J.A. Happ. And win percentage is uh, Aaron Sanchez. And I haven't even mentioned Cole Hamels or Chris Sale or Danny Duffy. And, and that's we haven't gotten to Zach Britton yet, <laughs> right? <laughs> and Zach Britton's sort of the person who uh, has sort of made, brought this conversation to the forefront because, you know, as often happens, this as you said, this time of year, you kind of get these, like, counterintuitive cases. Last year was you went to Cespedes in the National League, which was silly, and he obviously ended up not winning. Right. Um, not even coming close. Nor should he have. <laughs> Nor should he have. <laughs> this year, Zach Britton. Zach Britton's case is basically that there's no clear-cut starting pitcher, and he could set the record for lowest ERA uh, for a relief pitcher. He's at, he's at .54 right now, I believe. Which, Hasn't was, allowed, which would set the record. Which would set the record is uh, .60 by, I, by Rodney in 2012. Uh, I don't remember the date, but he hasn't. Zach Britton hasn't allowed an earned run since April at some point, I think. Although he did allow three runs in a game against San Diego in June, none of them earned because there was one fielding area. So I don't really like to differentiate. We can argue about that separately. It's also he, hasn't, he hasn't blown a save. I mean, he's as close to automatic as you get right now. For... He has an unprecedented combination of strikeouts and ground balls, right? Like Those are the two best things you can have happen, and he plays in front of a very good infield defense. So, I, I, while I don't, I wouldn't vote for him. I, I still, I'm not trying to downplay what he's done. So, who would you vote for, Al Cy Young, right now? Oh my God, I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> Corey Kluber, probably, just because I, I think he's been the most, you know, quote unquote, dominant. But I can see an argument for really any of these guys. Uh, I think Hamels will probably win, and you know, we can get to we can get back to Hamels in a second. But when we're talking about Britain, the reason why he won't win, and let's even assume he's been. He's going to stay this perfect through the end of the year. We, uh, we've seen a change in behavior of voters. But also a change in the voting. Well, every, and it happened the same year. So 2010, right, there's a change in the voting process. So you used to only have three spots to fill in names, and then you got five spots. It may not sound important, but it actually is, because what, what happens is that if you, if you want to recognize a reliever, but you don't actually want to vote for him first or second, you can put him on the ballot at fifth instead of maybe third. And that's a lesser amount of points because, you know, it's like a sliding scale of points. And also that year, that was when um, Felix Hernandez won the Cy Young with a 13-12 and 12 record, which kind of was a bit of a sea change is when do voters stop caring about things like wins and saves. So you look back and you say, oh, you know, Willie Hernandez won in 84 and Eric Gagne won. It doesn't really matter anymore. Like, it's a, an entirely different baseball world with different stats and different voters. I kind of go back to 2010, is, and this is what Tom Tango told us, is when things really changed. And since then... You've had a couple guys finish fifth, relievers finish fifth in the Cy Young voting, uh, Kimbrell, Rodney, Jose Valverde. You had one guy finish fourth, and even that was tied for fourth. That was Kimbrell in, in 2013, tied for fourth with Matt Harvey. No one has finished above fourth since 2008. That was the year Carrod had 62 saves in 69 opportunities, which is super important. Yeah. The point is that I don't think it's possible for that reason, and because there's so many good relievers right now, I don't think it's possible for a reliever to win the Cy Young unless... There's A, an atrocious year of starting pitching, and B, a reliever does something we've never seen before. And it's really hard to do that anymore, right? Yeah, I think that's, it would, it would basically, it would involve managers totally changing the way 
they would use relief pitchers. Right now, Terry Francona, for example, is being much more aggressive with the way he's using Andrew Miller, particularly earlier in games. He's been using, he's been he's brought him in the sixth inning a couple times. So like if you if you saw that usage over a full season where you were going multiple inning outings, you'd probably need someone who pitched 100 innings, got 30 plus saves while doing it with an ERA below one. I could see I could see it. I think Britain's going to get a lot of votes because I do think because the field is so fractured. Yeah. I think he's go. He'll finish fourth. If if he if he doesn't blow a save, I think he will finish third. 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 That's that's my bold prediction. I say fourth. Okay. So we'll, we'll come back to that. Uh, but at the end of the season. I will say this about Britain, though. As awesome as he's been, he's another guy who is a, a failed starter. Right? And I, I just want to put a thought question out to the listeners. If you were to swap Zach Britton, elite closer, and Chris Tillman, okay starter, swap their roles. You put Britton in the rotation. You put Tillman pitching one inning at a time. Who's more Who's more valuable right now? Right? Or who's more efficient? It's probably going to be Chris Tillman. Yeah. Going from starting to relieving is such a, a boon to these guys. And uh, yeah, I think that can't really be overstated. So anyway, that's the AL Cy Young, and what a mess. I guess it's the only way I could say it. I, I was going over it today. I think that if I had to vote today, I'd probably vote Kluber. I think Danny Duffy would be second on my ballot. Despite the fact that he's got a relatively limited amount of innings, he's got 132 innings. Kluber has 163 innings. A price, I believe, has the most at uh, 170-something. I mean, I'm going to contradict myself in a second when we get to the NL. But, yeah. the, but I do think that be, because of the fact he's relieved for part of the season and his innings are, he's going to continue to start, so he'll probably end up in the 160-170 range. I mean, this, again, this all assumes he maintains what he's been doing, but he has the highest, um, the best K percentage minus walk percentage in baseball right now, or in the AL right now. Um, it's in, a, terms of do, it's, in terms of dominance, yeah. I think that he he might end up having the case when you without someone else putting up a crazy innings total with with similar dominance. You can make the case. One one last note on the AL saying before we move on. If anybody looks at Jay Happ's seventeen and three record and he's been great, I'm not trying to to put that down. The Blue Jays have the highest, or he's got the highest runs per game or runs support in the entire American League. The Blue Jays offense is awesome. That's where the wins are coming from. Yeah, he's got a legitimate case, but the wins aren't the reason why. That's an excellent way to put it. All right, uh, let's talk pitching for a minute. NL Cy Young is a little interesting, too, because for a while, Clayton Kershaw was an absolute slam dunk to the point he was probably going to be the MVP. Yes. Clayton Kershaw hasn't pitched in about two months. He may or may not come back in September, may still be able to add on to that. You know, for the moment, he's actually still on top of the area leaderboard, but I think if the Dodgers play like three more games or something, he's going to be bounced off of that. Um, you know, you look at him, the front runners right now are, are, you know, Bumgarner, obviously having another very good season. Hendricks, Kyle Hendricks, number five starter Kyle Hendricks, has been fantastic. You know, Arietta's been really good, but not as amazing as it was last year. Kind of the same thing for Syndergaard. Do you throw DeGrom in there? Do you go to uh, Jose Fernandez, who's been dominant, but has a high exit velocity against, which we've talked about, which is real weird. And then also... Did uh, Steven Strasburg just bounce himself out of the, the, the contest with, uh, what was it, nine runs in, in one inning or whatever? And he had a couple of shaky addicts before that, but yeah. yesterday was, like, the worst. Um, like I said, I'm probably going to contradict myself on what I was saying about Danny Duffy because I think that, for me, the choice right now, based purely on the fact that he's combined the most innings in baseball with the lowest ERA in the league, I met Madison Bumgarner would be the choice. I just think that, like, Kershaw, the, the, the time missed... There's because the fact the fact of the matter is when you miss time, it's not just you're missing time. You're also like what you're doing to your team is you're forcing some guy who shouldn't be in the rotation into the rotation. So it's like there's like the value you have to. I feel like you have, kind of have to to nick a guy a little bit in terms of that, in terms of the value of what it does to yeah. his team. 
I, I will I will laugh probably endlessly though if Kershaw gets bounced out of the, comp, the discussion because he doesn't have not enough innings. He's got 121. And, Britain wins. and Zach Britton wins. <laughs> he's got 50 innings. Yeah, no, I think so. For me, Bumgarner in the NL would be the choice right now. Um, 2.1 on the area, 170 innings, um, which is you know the only guys who are kind of in that class are Scherzer and Cueto, which just haven't quite been um, as good. Although they'd be lower down on my my fictional ballot. I think I'd probably have Fernandez number two. That strikeout rate right now would be the third best all time. I think it'll come down to, in reality, whether Kershaw gets 41 more innings, right? If he qualifies. If he qualifies for the ERA title. If he's on those leaderboards, he'll get the votes. If he doesn't, and it's silly, right? If he gets 40 more innings, is that really a difference whatsoever? Not at all. But that's what'll happen. I, I can't see that happening because I, just, with the fact the Dodgers are now in first place and playing great, they're not going to rush him back. I know. I know. Uh, that would be that would probably be what seven starts? Seven, maybe six. But like, if he's, he's coming back, gonna, they're, they're going to baby him back. He's not going to come back till September. Yeah. He's not going to make six or seven starts. Yeah. Every. So it's just. It's a shame because, I, I mean, it was... One of the all-time greatest seasons ever. And for a guy who's already an all-time great, and he yeah, raised his... Yeah, it was very... It was, I was hoping this would become a... Was, how does this compare to Pedro's 99, like, all-time great season discussions? Sadly, we won't, we won't be able to have that. Uh, I would also toss some support for number five starter, Kyle Hendricks. I read about him a couple weeks ago. He's, he, he obviously doesn't throw hard. Uh, he's elite at getting called strikes. His deception is awesome. And he gets an incredibly low exit velocity in the uh, in the danger zone, right? I think I said between 10 degrees and 30 degrees, he gets one of the two or three lowest exit velocities. And so basically what's happening is he's getting these hard, these softly hit fly balls in front of a defense that's very good. Jason Hayward hasn't hit it all this year, but the defense has been legit. It's perfect marriage of a, of a pitcher and defense. So uh, that's slightly more clear than the AL, but, you know, not that much, I don't think. I mean, if, if the season ended today, I think Bumgarner would win. Not unanimously, but I think he would, like... Well, he'd, be like, he'd, he'd get, you know, half of the first place votes. So I'm glad you brought that up. So before we move on to the MVPs, let's, uh, so Tom Tango has built his Cy Young predictor, right? Oh, and, yes. And this is not about uh, who should win by, you know, we think this guy is this. It's just about who, who is most likely to win based on the behavior of the electors. And he basically based it on the last five, like since 2010, right? It's kind of exactly what I wrote the Britain article off of because things have changed. So Bill James did a version of this that was a lot more complicated. That was a lot more effective before 2010 when, you know, kind of more traditional stats. Tango's is a lot more effective since then because wins aren't as important, saves aren't as important, et cetera, et cetera. So the rules of this are, are pretty simple. Uh, the Cy Young predictor basically looks at uh, innings pitched, earned runs, strikeouts, and then wins, but wins are, are not weighted nearly as much as everything else. And that's kind of what the voters have shown they care about is the combinations of those things. Uh, and then he's also built in a rule where if you lead the league in both win, uh, wins and ERA, you're like a guaranteed winner, no matter what the rest of it says. So, uh, according to that, right now the American League winner leader, at least, is Cole Hamels. But it's really close. It's really close. Cy Young points here, so it's got 55 is the way this comes out to. Cole Hamels, one point behind is a tie between Happ and Kluber. One point behind that is a tie is Aaron Sanchez, and two points behind that is a tie between Quintana and Sale. It's and then there's, really there's four, And then there's four guys with 50 points: Duffy, Fulmer, Porcello, right. and Stephen Wright. And I only printed out the top 10 here, yeah. right? So within the top 10, it's it's a gap of only five points. And then in the NL, Bumgarner has Bumgarner's crushing it. Right he's now. crushing it because because of as you said, you know, the ERA is low. He pitches a ton of innings, so those are two things right there. Uh, you know, obviously the, the strikeout percentage is it's higher than I, I kind of think about Bumgarner getting. And uh, yeah, he's he's up by 13 points over Kershaw, and actually Scherzer. We didn't really talk about Scherzer. Is up in the top three as well. Scherzer would be on my uh, my fictional ballot. So that is uh, Cole Hamels and Bumgarner is where the uh, the predictor says right now. I don't think I would vote for Hamels as number one, but I could absolutely see that happening for sure. All right, let's just move on to uh, MVPs. The MVPs. MVPs. Um, MVPs are not as complicated. I think in the NL, there's a pretty clear top four. 
I haven't even looked at what, what you have there, but I mean, the top four has to be in some order. Seeger, Murphy, Rizzo, Bryant. Would you disagree? Um, I think he missed too much time, maybe, but Matt Carpenter, I guess, there's... I'd he be... would have been, but yeah, he, he had missed considerably. He missed too much time, probably. Um, yeah, that's probably it. Um, you know, I think if I'd, I'd put my support behind Seager right now. You know, I think I would, too. If you look at those four guys, uh, Murphy, Bryant, Seager, Rizzo, he is... His, his hitting is not as quite as great as the other three, but he's playing very good shortstop defense. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I, that's, for me, it'd be Seager and Murphy at the top of my ballot just because I'd put emphasis on up-the-middle players. Um, shortstop, obviously, in the edge over second baseman. I think Murphy, I'm of the belief that Murphy's going to win because I think that with Bryce Harper having a bad season, him coming over from the Mets, the, te- the rival, having the se- great season on the free agent contract, as the, I just think that, like, coupled with the fact that he's leading the league in slugging, and the Nats are going to go to the playoffs, and there's this great narrative behind him. Whereas Brian and Rizzo are going to probably split votes amongst. Yeah, I think that. I think he's right now. The season end of the day, I think he would win clearly. You, you could probably make an argument for guys like Arenado, uh, Turner. You know, Posey's having a little bit of down season. And separately, this is a whole other podcast. It'd be great to go back to like 2011 and look at those Mets infields that had Murphy at first, Turner at second, Reyes at short, and Wright at third, and just. Imagine how the narrative has changed around all of those guys <laughs> yeah. and what that infield would be like if you had all four of those guys at their best. Wow, yeah. Historic, probably. <laughs> uh, that's an entirely different conversation. I, you know, for me, I'd probably go Bryant, I think. I just think he's I just think he's the best overall player and his value moves around positions, but it, it's it's close. I don't I don't really have a good feeling about any of the four. The like, thing about Bryant, he's sort of having the season you'd kind of expect him to have, so there's no like, wow, what a season. So are we are we killing a guy for like following up on a great rookie season by having another very good season. To a certain degree, yes. I mean, I didn't didn't say MVP voting was rational. I I think the one thing that'll hurt uh, Rizzo a little bit is a lot of people like to vote for best player on the best team. And I don't know if you can say Rizzo is the best player on that team because Bryant's there. I I don't know how much splitting the vote is a real thing, but that might hurt them. So it'd be real, I I don't know if I'd enjoy anything more ever if Daniel Murphy won the MVP. Just living here in New York, because I think that'd be hilarious. I think Seager, Uh, you know, maybe we'll go Seager. AL MVP is a little different. Because uh, in some way, we're going to have the same argument we've had every year for like the last five years, which is Mike Trout is the best player in the league, and the Angels aren't going anywhere. And I don't care about that. I don't think you care about that. But I know a lot of voters. Yeah, he'd be my vote, but he's not going to win. Um, I think it, it's probably going to have down to two guys on playoff teams, so it'll probably be Donaldson or Betts or Machado. Altuve. Like, or, but I don't think the Astros are going to make the playoffs. I don't know. I, I, I almost wonder if the narrative around Altuve, the little guy, right, who's added power, and is crushing the ball. If that if that will overcome that to a certain extent, I just think with with the seasons that Betts and because Betts also is a little guy. Um, Betts, Betts, Donald- Betts has helium right now. <laughs> Betts and the, the, the seasons that Betts and Donaldson are having, I think that basically I think whichever of those teams wins the division will win the MVP. Earlier in the year, I would have put David Ortiz in the conversation. I think, but, but he struggled. He struggled and obviously he's adding zero value on defense. Here's a question I posed to you off the air. So Mike Trout's having the best season. Neither of us think he's going to win the MVP. What's more likely, Mike Trout finishes in the top two or outside the top five? Um, I think it's more likely he finishes outside the top five. I know. Isn't that sad? Yeah. He should be running like five straight MVPs. He's been in the top two every year in his career. Right. He's only won once. And uh, he's and the Angels have won zero playoff games yeah. with the best player we'll probably ever see. So uh, anyway, the whole point of this is that these four races, there's no obvious front runner in any of them. Usually there's like, oh, well, you know, Kershaw's clearly winning this or Chris Sale's running away with that. I, you know, we sit here today in the middle of August, and this could all be different six weeks from now. Yeah, and there's there's one one before we go. There's one player from the NL who's probably has an MVP case if his team was good that I want to talk about because he's not he'll probably not get any votes or maybe like one or two token votes. But Joey Votto is having 
an insane second half for the second straight year. Last year, it's and it's kind of going unnoticed because the Reds are just irrelevant. Last year, in the second half, he had a 211 weighted runs created plus. Josh Donaldson, AL MVP, was second in that time span, 171. So he was so not close. by far the best hitter in baseball in the second half. This year, 220 weighted runs created plus thus far in the second half. Altuve is second at 208. Here's, since yeah. the All-Star break, he's hitting 448, 541, 686. It's we're crazy. not Wait, well, we're not going to gloss over that. 448 batting average. 541 on base. That means he gets on base literally more than half the time he's up and a 686 slugging. It's just, it's, I mean, it's, he's, there's, there's a, a Mike Trout-esque aspect here where this is, we're looking at, I don't want to necessarily call, Mike Trout is an all-time great player. I don't know if necessarily want to say Joey Votto is an all-time great player, but he is a superstar in his prime who probably will have a Hall of Fame case when all is said and done. And it's like sort of overlooked because his team is just not very good. He's got a lot of money. He does have that. He's he's 32 <laughs> years old, I think. I think so. Reds aren't going to be competitive probably for three or four more years. Yeah, he's another guy you'd wonder if he could get traded. Is he an off-season trade candidate? He, he should be. He Although should he's be. he's I think he has a no trade. He's and he's uh, if he was willing to be, sure. Anyway, part of the reason I wanted to finish on this is because we talked about this earlier uh, today off the air, which is he has, according to Fangraphs, an infield fly ball percentage of zero. So pop-ups. pop-ups. And, and he's it, not hitting infield pop-up all year. And we've said before in the show, pop-ups are essentially strikeouts in the sense that they almost never lead to success. Last year, we looked at pop-ups, and the batting average was like .017. You basically need two outfielders to run into one another for a pop-up to land. And like Joey Votto notoriously never hits pop-ups. Like Every year, his, his infield fly percentage is like 2%. I think in his MVP year, he was also zero. It was zero. Of course, when I was curious, so I went and looked at his highest pop-up of the year. Highest by launch angle. By launch angle. 59.8 degrees. And it was like, it was borderline. It was short left center field, caught by the shortstop. Right. Would the infield, if there had been men on first and second, would the infield fly rule have been called? So what you're saying is that we should we should define pop-ups by angle can, and distance. We probably should. It, seemed, it actually seems like 60 degrees is like the proper yeah. infield fly balls. 60 degrees and maybe... I think, you know, home plate to second base is 120 feet, so maybe 125. Would it have to be kind of like a rounded going around? Otherwise, you have like a straight line between the foul lines? I guess, yes, yeah. but maybe that's maybe that's okay. You know, I'm not really sure, but it seems like that's probably uh, would be if we decide to go the uh, technical route on defining infield fly balls for uh, based on launch angle and distance, I think 60 degrees is definitely the right about the sweet spot for what would define an infield fly ball. I like it. We have we have the, the ability. We might as well use it. And then uh, maybe we would say Joey Votto actually did pop out. <laughs> well, I guess even Joey Votto can't be perfect. Uh, so anyway, that was our show. Uh, it was pretty fun to go through the awards. And, uh, you know, please hit us up on Twitter at Mike underscore Petriello at M.T. Myers. Right? Myers, M-E-Y-E-R-S. Yes. And uh, if you have any suggestions, we'll be happy to go through them with you or talk about it on next week's show. Uh, I'm Mike. He's Matt. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week.